So welcome back to Deliciously Seller on the Job. Today I'm going to be talking to award-winning fashion super stylist and TV presenter Grace Woodward about the peaks and pitfalls of a career in fashion. Hello Grace, thank you so much for coming in. It's an absolute pleasure, nice to see you again. Oh, so nice to see you, always a pleasure, never a chore. So to get started, Grace, do you have a shit ton of clothes? Oh yeah, I have um, two storage units, which collectively costing me right now about £400, £450 a month. So I could put, if we put that onto our mortgage, we could have like two other bedrooms, quite frankly. But um, that was because I had this brilliant idea. It was a brilliant idea, I'm telling you, that after I had a baby and I had this kind of hiatus from the fashion industry, I was like, I know, I'll open a shop, which of course is like the easiest thing you could ever do. But it turns out it's really not. And uh, my husband, who's worked in retail his whole life, was like, you do understand that retail is really hard, don't you? And I was like, no, 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 no. You just make a shop, right? And you make it look really, 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 really nice. And you make it like five doors down from your house. So that's okay when you've got a screaming one-year-old. And then you just put loads of really nice stuff in it and everyone will just come. And they'll even come from London to Hertfordshire. They will, honestly, it's, they it's will. It's in Hitchin, isn't it? Yeah. Graceland. Graceland. Um, no, Graceland is now online. Okay. Yeah, because as much as I was dedicated to the cause of making um, our towns not ghost towns and going, no, this is really, really cool. I'm just going to do this amazing little nugget and, you know, it's going to work. It doesn't work. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah. So you have storage units filled with clothes. Filled with one is like a shop inside a storage unit yeah. and one is my wardrobe in, inside a storage unit. Um, so, yes. And also, I'm a hoarder. I'm literally... when My, my husband made us move out of... or well, made me move out of our first flat because I was literally like one of those Channel 4 people, like burrowing under like shoeboxes. I'm like that. It's <laughs> disgusting. Um, and I'm still that person. But you know what? My grandmother's like that. She like buttons, scraps of fabric, anything. Oh, no, that will come useful. My granny used to collect the um, cereal packet toys that my mum and her brothers and sisters got when they were children. So I'd go into a drawer and there'd be all these sort of like plastic Native American men. And I was like, what is that? What are these? Why is there a sort of rubber tortoise in here? This is disgusting. But, but also, I think deep down, we're all quite ethical. I don't think we want to put that in the earth for it to rot over 20 million years. No. You know, and that's why we keep them in our drawers until we can't move in our houses. <laughs> so if you've got so many clothes, how do you get dressed in the morning? Uh, I usually pick the ones up off the floor. Yeah. The floor drobe. The, the, uh, the floor drobe answer. Because at the moment, we actually, um, we live in a 15th century house and most of it's falling down. Um, and it's like, you know, that dream where you go, I don't want to live in like a, you know, a, a house that's like square shaped. So we bought this house and then it's like every single month something else like falls off. So at the moment, the roof is off and the entire ceiling of my three-year-old son's roof, uh, his bedroom is off. And they were like, I'd honestly love, I don't know how this stayed up. Because, you know, this, by all rights, should have fallen on your son. I was like, um, thanks for telling that me that. That would have been really not good. Um, but so even more stuff is kind of in our room at the moment, including my son's bed. And so basically I can't open the cupboard doors. So basically, yeah, I dress from the floor and the stuff that kind of gets left downstairs. Now, because you're a stylist, do you feel pressure to look, like, on point every day? Well, I've gone through various kind of 
points of insanity with this. Yeah. Um, when I was like single and I was like young and doing it, well, I just left Ashton Provocateur and being a stylist at that point was incredibly important to me for some reason. I was like, I lived on the, the said flat, which was like crawling through, you know, some sort of warren. Um, was on New Cavendish Street on the corner of Great Titchfield Street. So that was like, you know, literally I could see Topshop from my back window Mm. and that felt really important. Um, And so I would be like, you know, Great Portland Street is a catwalk and it's a very important, there's lots of media people around here. And so I'd always be in heels and always be in like something sort of metallic. But stylists are always on the road and they've always got loads of bags on them and it's always really hectic. And... Uh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of how I dressed at the time. Um, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I walked around in four or five inch heels as a job. Yeah, I mean, I can't walk around in them ever. I'm going to a wedding next weekend and my mum was like, if you wear trainers, God forbid. I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine. Fine, I will wear heels for an hour and then I will take them off. <laughs> I think that's quite sensible. Yeah. But, but sensible doesn't come into fashion. There is nothing about fashion that is sensible from beginning to end, from the way that you dress to other people's attitudes. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, it is a world of extremes. So have you always wanted to work in fashion? I think it became the only answer to the sensibilities that I had as a, as a kid, sort of a, a sort of blanket creativity. Mm-hmm and uh, a, a lust for dressing up. And what I quickly learned, well, actually, it took me about 10 years, was the fashion industry is not about those things. The fashion industry is about selling clothes. Um, there are pockets of it, especially being a stylist, an editorial stylist, which is, you know, it is about creating fantasy and fun and basically painting pictures. But the, the crux of it is about selling clothes. And I think there's a whole kind of fashion suffers from its own PR, really, because it looks like and everybody says to me, oh, my God, your job is so glamorous. It's like, actually, it really isn't glamorous. It might seem glamorous, but what it is, is really hard work, very little pay and very and it's very political. Mm. So you're always trying to sort of uh, be cool. And it's like, if you're not cool, you're not in the gang. And if you're not in the gang, it's like you don't get the work. So, you know, it's kind of juggling all of those kind of things. What's the hardest job you've ever done? It would have to be X Factor. Yeah. I hate talking about X Factor. Relentlessly, people ask me about X Factor. I and mean, actually, I think the, 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 the further away I get from it, you know, in 20 years' time, perhaps I like talking about it. But um, it was bonkers. That's the only word that I can find to describe it. Absolute madness. And now I can kind of, you know, that Morrissey lyric, I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, as you can see, I can, I'm not crying yet. It, I had an interview recently with the male and all they wanted to talk about was X Factor and I ended up bursting into tears. And she was like, you've just told me about you, the horrendous things that have happened in your life, but the thing that broke the camel's back is X Factor. I mean, I can't imagine how much pressure you must have been under. There are so many people watching and everyone is an armchair stylist. Like, oh, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. Just... But not even that. It's like behind the scenes as well, everybody is a stylist. So Sunita, for example, would come up to these poor kind of rabbit-in-the-headlights contestants being like, babe, are you sure about that? And then they'd come back to me going, Sunita says that she's not sure about that. And I'm like, 
Who's sending it to her anyway? And why is she here? She dresses in leaves. I mean, what is this madness? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, um, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions and the poor contestants are kind of stripped of their humanity to every degree for the na- for the nature of the show, for entertainment purposes. So, you know, they're, they're, regardless of age or family status, they are all put in a house together. You know, uh, it's it's kind of like, but it is like Big Brother with singing. It's mm. you know, and they, they you cause you see them at some point going. I think they finally cracked. One of them, I who will remain nameless, basically a- attacked my assistant with a pair of scissors. What? Yeah, I mean, they at some point they all go mad, and TV shows tend to get like this. It's like a warp. It's like a bubble, and that's why everyone starts sleeping with each other. Because I was about to say, know, surely they all get off with each other. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it just becomes really very weird. But because it's so important at that time, that's that's all kind of that's kind of all that exists at that time. It happens on lots and lots of productions, and like it's well known in the film industry as well. Where it's kind of like your production boyfriend or your production girlfriend, or mm. people make jokes. So she's my production wife, and it's like. Do you really not? Are you actually banging her? You know. Yeah, that's why you're married. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, my my great aunt, she was married to a Hollywood film director, and he said to her, "Either you travel with me absolutely everywhere we go, or you know what happens." And she was like, "Right, I'll take the I'll take the former." So she went on absolutely every production just so that because all of the all of the starlets want to sleep with the director because they think that that's going to get work and you know I guess it's a given but you when you actually hear it you're like oh yeah it kind of does work like that doesn't it I would just find that incredibly awkward I'd be like oh I've shagged my boss what a disaster not like oh I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna shag my boss then he's gonna give me a job like if I shagged my boss he would not give me a job I know that for sure <laughs> it would just not work in my How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Baby. So do you always want to be a TV personality? Because you've done loads of stuff. You've done Britain and Ireland's Next Top Model. Yes. You're a judge. Yes. Mrs. Nasty. Oh, oh. really? Well, do, do you, tried... Have you actually watched it? Not for a long time. <laughs> but did you watch I it? I did, yeah. My okay. mum and I really liked it. Oh, okay. So, okay, fair point. Um, I think the thing is, is when you've got Elle McPherson, who's trying to be so saccharinely nice about everything, and then you've got Charlie, who's just sort of a pretty guy, mm. and then you've got Julian, who is the acerbic gay, what do you get left with for a female casting? 
and so me being I've never hadn't done TV TV before and never watched Top Model or X Factor by the way before I willingly signed away on the contract uh you you sort of realize after the affair that you are being you know you're being cast into a role and um the I came a bit unstuck because I was like yeah but I don't want to be that person so can you stop trying to make me that person so the production and me were always kind of like going backwards and forwards so they in the they they use like the kind of stuff that seemed you know and also when you're editing you can you can chop any words around you could I could have been talking to a different girl at that time and they put it into another one so you know the beauty of the edit um I my only agenda with that was to go in to talk to the girls and represent the industry as it was yeah it's a very 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 hard industry and it's not a nice industry um and so on a, I didn't want to go on a tv show and a my industry go well that's you over um or and b prepare these not prepare these girls because it's like a lamb to the slaughter it's like if they really want to do this job that's what it's like mm. i i just felt like i was giving tough love whether that come came across as probably on tv like Everyone's going, yeah, but she's really pretty. It's like, well, actually, supermodels need to take their makeup off are generally not that pretty. Yeah. They're astonishing looking, but they ain't pretty girls. That is interesting. I think that they're quite sort of ethereal looking almost. Yeah. yeah. What? Remember, photography, which is mostly what models do, take a 3D thing and make it 2D. So you have to have something of a bone structure which doesn't necessarily make sense in real life when you see it but when it just works in terms of the what happens when you take photos of it so some that's why some people go oh you're really photogenic because mm. being photogenic is different from being pretty so do you prefer styling celebrities or models um that's a really good question uh i don't i mean i don't particularly style that much anymore yeah mostly because uh, I've found either styling celebrities or models, mostly models, that I have sort of crashing self-esteem issues afterwards, going, oh my God, I'm so fat and disgusting. Um, so you have to be like a rhinoceros to get through the industry. You just mm. have to, or, or, or develop some very unhealthy coping mechanisms, which I'd say accounts for 75% of the industry. Um, so... There's a there is is a very different reason why you would work with either one. I love working with extremely talented people. So I would say the the people that I've loved working with most are people, female performers like Fever Ray. She just uses theatre and makeup in a very different way. So she kind of, she doesn't use her sexuality to sell her music, for example. And not everybody would know her, but I went to. Um, after working with her, I went to her gig at Shepherd's Bush and she'd used the theme that I'd done in a shoot with her and she dressed all of the the guys, the sort of, you know, theatrics on stage in the idea that I'd kind of worked on with her. And that felt to me, you know, I, at the end of the day, some stylists just like shopping, some stylists are creative. I would like to think, having gone to art school, that yeah. I'm the, the creative part. Um, those sort of things are really, really important. That you're you're creating something that's more than the sum of its parts. 
So I, I don't I don't believe in like going, oh, let's, right, okay, we've got a new record coming out, so let's do like something shocking or let's do like something like really, you know, like, you know, like wearing no trousers, for example. Yeah. It's a fairly standard shocking thing to do. Um, so um, I love working with talented people. That happens moreover in, in fashion editorial, so when you're working with models. And obviously models, they bring your fantasies to life as a stylist. I usually, you know, work with the photographer on the idea. I don't just like rock up on the day with a couple of dresses. It's kind of like something that you've worked for weeks towards and done, you know, oodles of research on. And so a model brings that to life. And the the joy of seeing something that was in your head suddenly in front of you, like a tableau vivant, like this is you're creating. And and I think as humans, one of the one of the things that marks us away from being chimps is that we can create that we can move humanity forwards and so creating ideas creating something new that's a part of that and that makes you know that's where my brain and my fingers and everything starts to tingle when you go oh wow this is something happening here rather than just being like oh let's just try out the same old stuff so what would you say to people who say that fashion is like fluffy and lowbrow um fashion is so many things mm. and i think there is a huge part of fashion that is fluffy and lowbrow it depends on you know i've tried to navigate my career through these things um the most fluffy and lowbrow my career got was when i was doing x factor yeah um because it's entertainment and that is fluff and it is lowbrow because people want that to be. You don't want something deeply intellectual on a Saturday night. It's like, no, give me a break. Um, but if you look at fashion designers as Ray Kawakubo from Comme des Garçons, or if you look at Yoji Yamamoto, if you look at um, even some of the, the young British designers, um, Molly Goddard, you know, they are, they are truly creative and at a higher end, they they change things. They're not just dressing people. They are, it's the sort of cultural hegemony of picking stuff up, you know, the, the zeitgeist of reading the zeitgeist and, and regurgitating. Fashion designers are like mind readers for people. Uh, and I'm not talking about the high street here, which is kind of lowbrow. But, uh, you know, when you're looking at the higher end and you're looking at people looking at deeply intellectual ideas, they are uh, the people who are kind of, you know, like a, a sponge to everything that's going on, like politics, um, economics, and then reacting against it. So, for example, when the world seems to be going crazy, there's like pink fluff everywhere on the catwalks. And that is because humanity can't deal with hardness all the time. Yeah. Because if it was like, oh, well, everything's really, really miserable. And then fashion was really miserable as well. People just throw themselves off bridges. Fashion serves a purpose to to help people, in a way, um, express themselves, but also kind of cope with life. Yes, it's frivolous, but it doesn't mean it's stupid. Yeah, I agree. I think that fashion's great. I think clothes are really important. I think that, yeah, no one should be judged for taking a little bit of joy in that. You are wearing a jumper that says wonder. I am wearing a jumper that says Wonder on the front. It's a little bit dead. Is it, does it like Wonder Woman? Yeah, I'm yeah. Wonder Woman today. Excellent. I was feeling a little bit tired when I woke up this morning, so I thought today... Exactly. You wear your Wonder Woman jumper. Have you got your Wonder Woman pants on? 
I'm actually, I'm wearing a sports bra today for comfort, which is very unfashion. Well, actually, I don't think it is. You know, there's room for everything in fashion. So finally, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into styling? Don't do it. (laughs) I mean, I feel somewhat responsible because, so when I started, there were the startings of the styling industry, but you kind of wouldn't have known about it. It took me going to from art school going to London College of Fashion and then kind of learning about styling. and I didn't know what a stylist was, but as soon as I did, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And it took me a while to become that, but it was, I feel sort of deeply responsible for making it, being a part of that wave of making it kind of a desirable job or like a kind of fantasy job, as much as being a model in the 60s and 70s and to the 80s to some extent. You know, everybody wanted to be a model. Any rich girl that you'd found on the King's Road was, you know, an aspiring model or a model. And you're just like, and it was just like a sort of fantasy job title. You get less of that these days where you get a lot of stylists, a lot of stylists. And that, and you know, and you're like, right, well, can I see your portfolio? And, you know, you see people with Instagram pages that just call themselves stylists because they style themselves. And there is a merit to that, but it's you know and it's a new wave of it but to me that's that's not styling that's mm. dressing yourself up it's just not for me just like I'm just like you know I'm too busy trying to create stupid pictures somewhere else like in a studio doing work if I had assistants that looked like uh we were like dressed up like crazy like instagrammers I'd be like you have too much time on your hands and you're not doing your job properly I would rather have a geek I'd rather have five geeks working for me. I don't care what they wear. Do you know what I mean? It's just mm. like, that's where there, there is a certain, what would you call it? Like circles of the fashion industry and the people who've got to the, the main hub, they don't really care about what they wear uh, on a day-to-day basis. So most stylists you'll find looking, you know, like tramps because, or like, you know, really expensive tramps. But, you know, it's that thing where it's like, well, if you're going to be in the studio and you see like, the, if you see Sam McKnight, he's got an exhibition on at the moment at Somerset House. He's the best hairdresser in the, hairdresser in the industry. It's not about what he wears. It's about his talent. So people say when you start styling, it will take you 10 years. And it does. It, But that's 10 years of being utterly skint. Yeah. So having... And it's like being in any creative industry, hanging around with people who are of your ilk. They're your gang. And they're creatives with you. And you create work however you can. And then that gets you through. I think there is this thing in, in fashion that you have to kind of like spend loads of money. And and that's obviously what the industry perpetrates. But if you go back to the raw talent of it, that being in the photo studio, you're just going to be wearing jeans and whatever on the top and your trainers because you need to be comfortable and warm. Because for 10 years, I was cold and skint. So, you know, it's kind of like you have to be prepared to take the gloves off and get your hands dirty because if it's not all about what you see in magazines like the fashion parties and the, you know the people on Instagram and all of that actually styling is really hard work you prep for a week you shoot for one day and you return for a week and everybody is like rolled up with their trolleys doing their hair and makeup and then they go off again on another job but a stylist does three times the work of everybody else so that's why I'd say to people it's like if you think it's a glamorous job and you're going to have fun there are pockets of that, but you have to work really, really, really extremely hard to get to that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Grace. It's a total pleasure. That's 
all for this week. Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at deliciouslysteller or you can drop me an email at deliciouslysteller at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.